0: Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. So, <clears throat> we are at the point in the story when the, the, the yogi has come out of the forest and he's come to the king and says, I need your help. Uh, there's, a, we got a, there's a big problem. <clears throat> and he descri- the yogi describes how he's trying to do his rituals and his prayers and pouring his um, oblations on the sacrificial fire. But the demons are coming out of the sky and they're <clears throat> devouring the offerings before they make it up to the gods. And uh, the demons are eating the hermits in the forest. And so everything... Um, is going haywire. And so the yogi has come to the king, and he has a request for the king. And so in the last section, when the yogi showed up, the king said, hey, I'll give you, you know, whatever I can do to help you, I'll do it. And so um, the, the yogi is named Vishwamitra. Vishwamitra said, king... For years, I have tried to complete a sacrifice in the solitary forest. I do nothing wrong and leave nothing out. I never daydream, and my work is absolutely without lapses or holes. The most learned demon could surely detect no entrance. Yet when I speak a blessing, I hear the heavy tread of countless running feet in the air above me, yet see no one. Just when I am to make the offering and end the ritual, flesh and gore fall on my altar. my water jars break untouched. My fig woods, my figwood ladles warp and groan, and my fires go out. Dasharatha the king said, "How have the demons, the rakshashas, overcome the good power? Where are the gods who should protect you? So in, the, in the, that first description there, it's really a nice way to like think about your own meditation because we are that yogi trying to, to have a really good meditation experience. And so he notes, I do nothing wrong, I never daydream, and my work is without lapses or holes. So if you think about your own meditation you know, you sit down to meditate or you come here to meditate and you're like, okay, I really want to do my practice but maybe you find that you end up spending like the whole time daydreaming or thinking about something or when I suggested, um, you know, concentrate on the sound of the flute music and try to hold on to it. Even when you make that effort, in come all these thoughts and it's so easy to just get pulled away. And so it's, I like the way he describes it. I'm not daydreaming. My work is without lapses or holes. So holes in concentration, lapses in our awareness. Because this yogi's work is a work of consciousness. It's a work of holding his intention and his awareness on, on the mantras and on um, his spiritual work. And yet... It's, the, the demons are showing up, he's, he's getting distracted, the um, things are breaking, and the, des, the description of the gore and the flesh are falling on his fire. And so you can look at your own life and say, you know, deep in your heart there's this purity or there's this longing for a really good life and a kind life, and yet what fall, you know, what's falling into your life and and you know, kind of messing things up or creating uh, just a mess. Where you know, how did I how did I get here? So there was when I was growing up. There was that show, some show. I think it was a cartoon. But this guy would he started out simple, and he'd have these desires, and then all of a sudden he'd end up in this crazy situation. And he'd call out, "Mr. Wizard, get me out of here!" <laughs> and Mr. Wizard would like pull him out of the the situation he'd gotten himself into. And so our lives are like that. But we end up in these circumstances. And just like, how did, how did we get there? So, so this, is, this is what happens to us. So then the king asks, how have these rakshasas, so that's the word for the demon, how have these rakshasas overcome the Brahma power? So that's the, the godly power. Where are the gods who should protect you? And then Vishwamitra gives a very expansive look at at, uh, existence. He says, Majesty, we are living in the second age of the world, and the quarter part of virtue has now died among men. We are living in the second age of the world. And so in the Indian philosophy, the and there's, there's a book, if you know Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, Uh, up in Encinitas the beautiful his teacher wrote a book called The Holy Science it's a really short book it's the only little book it's the only book his teacher wrote but it deals with the huge epics of time and in the Indian philosophy the cycle is an 80,000 year cycle 80,000 and the cycle is in four quarters four 20,000 year quarters and it's said that existence begins with like pure light or like pure goodness or whatever you want to think of, pure intelligence. And that uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a light slowly merges into matter and in the process that's like a darkening. And then, and then it hits the lowest point And then it starts to rise up as light illumines matter and things uh, rise to like a perfection where spirit and matter combine, rising to a new level. So it's an, it's a, uh, not devolution, involution. Involution of light into, what's that? Well, the evolution is the idea that um, we're evolving upwards. You know, we're evolving, but at the same time, light is, is, Involving into matter so it's happening both ways and so the idea is that it, things begin with pure light but then there's descent, this descent and so that's what he's saying that this is the second age of the world and according to Yogananda's teachings his teacher's teachings like in the 1400's we hit the bottom of it and now we're like cycling back up so they say that when, like when people, humanity become conscious enough of gravitation, of electricity, of these more subtle, that the reason that happened was because our senses became more subtle, our minds became more subtle. Electricity was always there, magnetism was always there, gravity was always there, but our minds weren't subtle enough to perceive it. And so we're, we're like coming out of this darkest period. So anyway... Majesty, we are living in the second age of the world, and the quarter part of virtue has now died among men. These are fabled days, and dharma, so good action, declines. In the first age, food came by wishing, and grew from earth without tending. No one wept, nor was cruel, nor hurt another. And there were not many gods then, among different men, but only one. This age, so the second age, began with the first slaughter and sacrifice of an innocent animal to some lower god. Men started to take action to gain objects and rewards. They gave no more gifts free just for the giving, except rarely, more and more rarely as years pass. This is a time of scene-shifting and contrivance. Men no longer live as long. There are all about us arguments and objections and ambushes and devious cunning, deceitful sorcery and craft and fraud and guile and trickery and lies and many devices. King, against the demons, there is no help in the forest and no help from the gods." And so, a lot of this description of things you could say is, is really relevant in our time. You know, if we, if we look around us, we've in our in our governance, the people who govern us, we've come to accept the fact that we're lied to, selfishness, and just greed and corruption, and so it's all it's all around us. And the big question is, how do we deal with it in our, in our own life? so uh, how do because how um, this is this journey is the human journey and so we see how these guys deal with it but the real question is how, are, how do we um, react within this so he says uh, king against so Ravana is the is the evil demon he's, he's the one who's behind he's like the leader of the demon army so the king uh So the yogi says, king, against Ravana's demons, there is no help in the forest and no help from the gods. The king says, I pity those living after us, because things get worse. I pity those living after us. Who is Ravana, this demon? He is king of Lanka, said the yogi, a piece of grit in the world's eye to make her weep. Ravana has conquered heaven and hell. His brutal helpers hunger for me. They fly fast and change shapes at will. They love eating hermits. They feed on harmless men and consume creatures like death himself. Not a, not a pretty scene. <laughs> Good old Ravana. Ravana. a piece of grit in the world's eye to make her weep. So you look around at the world and all the suffering and sorrow and hungry, you know, kids that go hungry to sleep every night. And, you know, there's so much suffering in the world. And in some ways you could say that um, our lives here, like in California, are pretty blessed compared to the mass of humanity. And so even in this moment, as we sit here, there's people who just on a day-to-day basis suffer much more deeply than we do. And if you can imagine being those people, our lives are like a dream. They, could, they, they, would, they look at, if they could even imagine our lives, they would be like, oh my God, that would be a paradise to have food every day, to have water, to have these things. And so this also gives like an awareness or maybe a sense of gratitude for what we do have, which can empower our own spiritual journey. You know, we have the time to meditate. We have a peaceful enough society where we're not being persecuted and attacked and So, really valuing the opportunity that we do have. And so, again, the king asked, you know, who is this Ravana? And so the yogi gives this description, but then he, he offers a deeper description about life. Listen, majesty, close your eyes. By the light of very ancient history, you will learn how the three worlds have fallen prey to the demons. Let me tell you what the hateful demon Ravana has done. And then the yogi talks, goes into the deeper realm of life. He says At the last beginning of time, as at every beginning, Brahma, the creator of the worlds, was reborn from a lotus. That flower grew from the navel of Lord Narayana as he slept afloat on the waters, lying on the white coils of the endless serpent, Sesha. Brahma saw water everywhere, and he grew anxious, lest it be stolen. So out of water he made four guardians, two couples, male and female. Those four people said, we are hungry and thirsty. Brahma told them, watch this water, don't let a drop of it get lost. One couple answered him, Rakshama, we will protect it. The other pair said, Yakshama, we will worship it. These couples were the first Rakshashas and the first Yakshas. Narayana then carefully rescued the earth from underwater. Brahma somehow made the five elements. He fashioned the world, the worlds, and made food and other races. And so, if you've ever seen the image of the in the Indian iconography of the um, yogi, of the like this being, this deity who's asleep on this huge uh, uh, cobra, the um, endless serpent. So the cobra's hood is up, and this is the the image of uh, creation, the, the the serpent. And you also find that imagery in the the idea the Kundalini Yoga. The serpent coiled up in the base of the spine that slowly awakens. So this is the, the life energy. And so he says, at the last beginning of time, as at every beginning. So in our cosmology or our thinking of existence, we think, okay, all existence began with the Big Bang. And that, um, that's the beginning of time, however many... Billion of years ago, we 15 billion or something. What's that? Something trillion. trillion was the Big Bang. Anybody know? <laughs> 15 million? Billion. 15 billion years ago. And so the Indian cosmology would say, okay, that was one of the beginnings of time. But there are many beginnings of time. And also, in our, in our own existence, just like the universe has an existence, so too we have an existence. So each of us had a beginning of time. Just like we'll, as individuals, have an end of time. And so, um, at the beginning of time, as at every beginning, Brahma, the creator of worlds, was reborn from a lotus. So when the humans show up, they're like, we're hungry and thirsty. So this is like, being part of human life, hungry and thirsty. And then, so of these, um, these two couples, Brahma of the, the, has the milky white sea of existence is the imagery. And the Bra- Brahma, the God, is like concerned, don't let anything happen to this. This is existence. Take care of existence for me. And so one couple says, okay, we'll protect it. And the other couple says that we'll worship it. And so those are two of the, the principal things that we do to uphold our universe. So if you have something you love, like a little garden, you protect it and put a fence around it and make sure no one tramples it. You protect it and you worship it. You, you give it sustenance. You do the same with children. You do the same with your friendships. And ultimately you do the same with your own meditation practice and your own mind. So how would we protect our mind? What would we do to protect our mind? Pay attention to thought forms. What else? What's that? Right, cut out bad influences. Be really conscious of what you're letting into your mind. Just like you don't let people trample on your, on your plants. So not letting... Um, uh, be, yeah, being conscious of what you let in protecting your mind and then the worship how, how, do, you, how do you worship your mind or how do you um, what's that nutrition. yeah that's a good point like worshipping your body giving your body good nutrition same with your mind bringing in positive thoughts mantras w- w- to give sustenance so really seeing yourself as a, an existence that needs to be protected and needs to be nurtured, needs to be worshipped, all the parts of your being. So those two, those two races, the rakshasas and the yakshas, and these rakshasas are slowly going to descend into the demons and you find the same thing in the Christian, in Christianity with the, um, you know, Lucifer is like one of the, I think he's, he's what? He's the angel of music, Lucifer, yeah. And then there's the descent, and he becomes, you know, the, the demon. And so we, we have the same basic theme. It all starts out with light, but then there's uh, a descent The Rakshasha couple lived on earth. That Rakshashi was pregnant. She was filled with child as a rain cloud is filled with water by the sea. Majesty, Rakshashas conceive and give birth all in one day. She went alone to a deserted hillside and bore a son. Then she left the baby demon there abandoned. She forgot him and hurried back to her husband. And her newborn child put his fist in his mouth and cried slowly. Just then, above that hill in the sky, Lord Shiva was riding with Devi. That's his consort. So Lord Shiva is one of the deities. With Devi on the back of Nandan, the white Brahma bull. Devi, the goddess, heard the faint little cries. She looked down and saw the helpless baby. And she sent the great god Shiva down onto the hill. The terrible lord Shiva, terrible in, in the idea that he's so powerful. The terrible lord Shiva bent over that child, picked him up, and held him gently. Shiva, lord of the destruction preceding creation, wore a tiger's skin. In his hair, the crescent moon, he was in, fa- in form a pale white man with white, ash in, in, white ashes in his hair and his throat was blue and on his, brown, on his brow was his deadly third eye closed. He gave that baby his mother's age and to please Devi gave him the power of flight and these gifts stayed with the Rakshasha race. That Rakshasha was Shukesha. He was charming and polite and welcome everywhere. He married the daughter of a Gandharva. So the Gandharvas are the uh, celestial musicians. So he married the daughter of a Gandharva and her company, and, and they made each other happy in their company. He had three sons and named them Mali, Shumali, and Malyavan. These three young Rakshashas wanted a better place to live. They wanted their earthly homes to be beautiful. And so here we we see like a first shift. So this first little demon child, good guy, everybody loves him. He marries a celestial being. So he's still very much in this ethereal um, realm of spirit. But then these three, so they give birth to these three kids. And this is when the desires start. They want a better place to live. Here comes um, desire, things. I want things and and, and this is when uh, the trouble starts and so in our own lives, looking to see where trouble starts, you know look, look at look at your own um, desires and your own longings and although they come naturally and we assume that they 're Hours, taking a good look at them, you might find that a lot of your desires aren't the, the deepest thing in your heart, that they've been, they are there through society or through other people or through what you think is expected of you. Those three young Rakshashas wanted a better place to live. They wanted their earthly homes to be beautiful they flew to heaven, fly all the way up to heaven, to Vishwakarman, the heavenly architect. They found him forging an iron axe with a steel hammer, pounding away while sparks flew burning holes in his leather clothes. Vishwakarman, the architect of the universe, was surrounded by tall clay jars of water and oils for tempering blades. His anvils and fire pits and bellows and dirty charcoal bags cluttered the room. Leather belts and running wheels and whining wooden gears went rattling overhead in confusion. Round the rafters hung thunderbolts to be sharpened and spare axles and chariot chains. Underfoot were metal cuttings and pointed scraps and curly shavings. The light was bad. Acid fumes and coal dust filled the hot air. And clamor and din never ceased in his workshop. Malivon drew near and said in a loud voice, Dear Lord of the Arts, Vishwakarman stopped hammering Put his furnaces still. Uh, Vishwakarman stopped hammering, but his furnaces still roared and the gears ground. He yelled back, Is it made of metal? Malyavan shouted, A home, beauty for us, somewhere, cr- somewhere quiet. Vishwakarman ran his grimy hand over his sweaty brow and brushed some filings out of his hair. He gestured towards a back door. Come, follow me." He led the three rakshasha brothers through that door into a quiet room, clean and light, ideal for an artist. The goddesses and wives of heaven came to welcome Vishwakarman with warm, glad smiles and cool drinks. And Vishwakarman no longer looked like a metalsmith. Just by going through the door, he had changed into a beautiful, sensitive workman, Wearing airy clothes and remote from care. <clears throat> and so the, that first set of imagery of like the architect of heaven, the grinding gears and the coal. And so you can think of, you know, volcanoes or, you know, chemical or the, the ooze of life coming into being and all the chaos of the universe. And then at the same time, if you just pass through a door—a door of awareness—then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the the, it's all transformed into light and beauty, and it's airy and it's spacious. And here's the, um, you know, the the celestial realm. And so it's the same thing with ourselves. Like one part of us is full of these chemicals, and you know, the the primordial ooze is what we're made out of. And what, you know, our body melts back into the earth. And if you ever see like speeded up photography of leaves melting back into soil and, you know, that's a big part of who we are. But at the same time, we're also, the, we're also beings of light and brightness and clarity. And so, again, just like, just like that's going on in this story, so the same thing's going on within ourselves, We're beings of light, and yet we're also beings of this primordial ooze, and that's our nature too. (laughs) Okay, so um, next week we'll see what exactly uh, these guys want and (laughs) and where it's going to get them.